This podcast is offered by Jikoji Zen Center on the web at jikoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Welcome to Jikoji, everybody. This is a this is a very special place here. And about in the early 1980s, when we were looking for a place like this, um, the, the first, the person who who is who gave us this place, Coben Chino. He always liked to be called Coben. And what can we say about the founder of a temple? What can we say about that? I think Coben's we're trying to we're trying to I'm trying to find something here which is you know I, I want to transmit something of Coben to you. Coben was He was so kind. He always knew where we were. You know, he would, you know, you know, I would go to him, and you know, with some problem. Usually, I had marital problems. That's why I went because I was a, a young guy and I didn't know how to be a husband and that kind of stuff. And so, I, most of my early dokusans or meetings with Coben were about, um, you know, how to be a how to be a good husband. And Coben was always what he did. When, when you look into Coben's eyes, you're looking into the eyes of an enlightened person. You're looking into the eyes of enlightenment. And it's not something that he, that he, it wasn't like it, he blasted something out, but he, but it was so, he was so completely right there that it was almost like you didn't need to ask him a question. You listen to him. He was very, very kind, and he always emphasized, he always knew how to bring out kindness in, in somebody, and he knew. You know, when you spent time with Coben, particularly in the woods, Coben really loved the woods, and he grew up in a in a temple in Japan that had a, has a lot of woods. He loved the woods. He loved walking in the woods. He and I walked in the woods a lot together, 
and one of the things that was that was very he was he was he was never like judgmental of me. He he always what he imparted to me was not uh, knowledge. I think I think it's something. He imparted something that was already here. It was already present. The, the the great, you know, what, you know, if you just sit down, you know, this this position is a, is a very nice one because you can, as you begin to sit a lot and longer, you know, this position allows you to sit without getting in into. A, you can regulate a lot of your of things when you when you're just sitting. You you notice, for example, that that. Uh, if your chin is out like this, like the thinker, like that statue of the thinker, you know, then your thinking mind, it's generating thoughts. When, when we were just starting up this place here at Chikoji, we spent a lot of time, Coben and I and some other people. Um, this is, a, this is a something from uh, about 1982 here. I'll read, I'll read a couple of parts of it to you. Zen life has always emphasized self-reliance and self-knowledge in terms of the forces of nature. In our tradition, Jukoji's intention is to provide an opportunity for people to experience the natural world in all its aspects, both in the stillness of the Zendo, where we are now, and in the surrounding valley of oaks and laurels beside Peter's Creek and by the quiet waters of the lake. He said, workshops in the natural history and ecology of the area will be offered several times a year. So when, when you went walking in the woods with Coben, like walking in the woods around here with Coben, well, at that time I was a professional biologist and so when I'm in the woods, I'm very much at home in the woods, and I see things. You know, and if you're going to write a, a grant to get money to buy and protect a piece of land, like all the land that's around here, comes from the Endangered Species Act, comes because of finding um, rare and endangered species like the San Francisco garter snake and red-legged frogs that I have found around in this area. Got a lot of money for protecting land for that. And you'd go walking with Coben, and you know, I thought of myself as well. You know, like I'm, I'm a real good biologist. I, you know, I can see things around here. But Coben, he was so right there with me that when, you know, that, that my mind would go over to a, some interesting thing, a, a, you know, a, a brown creeper bird crawling up the trunk of a tree, and he, his mind was so with me that you know, I'd look at something and he'd and he'd say, oh, is, what kind of bird is that? Or something like that. So it was a connection. You know, the, our minds met somehow. They connected. And they, they, it was one, only one mind. Being, being in the present moment is, my dear mother, she said to me, when you sit, what do you do? And I said, I just sit. I don't do anything. She said, don't you watch your breathing? And I said, no, I, I just sit. 
And then I told her that when I was starting out, um, you know, at Haikus, it was nice to have, to have a, you know, I wasn't married when I was started, when I started out. And, you know, I lived up in the mountains not far from here at that time. And I rode my bicycle down to Haiku Zendo, about, you know, 10 miles or something, and back each day. And every, every day I would get a chance to sit with Coben and ask him questions and everything that came up. You know, so it was just all the, whatever came up in my mind. Oh, I have a stomachache. Oh, you poor boy. Or whatever like this. You know, he, he was a very playful man. You know, and I think that when you sit a lot, that you, you're, you're, you, you touch a place where, where happiness is. You know, I think that's, that's something that, re- that is really important about, you know, that, that we know that, t- that when we take this position, when, when we, you know, Coben, when, when, when I started out, I, w- I went to him and I said, Coben, I've never sat before. Will you show me how to sit? So he took me into Haiku Zendo and, sat and showed me how to sit down in this position. And he took my hands and put them in this position. And he, and he told me how you take the middle finger, the two middle fingers, and, and you put your right one underneath your left one. And you kind of hold it up about, you know, so your thumb tips are about right where your belly button is. And, um, and then you can bring your shoulders back and you can kind of tuck in your chin so you're not thinking all the time. It becomes a very relaxing position. You can sit for a long time. One of the things that, that you can do around here in the woods, you know, you, you can all come and, and join to the woods and, and enjoy just walking around in the woods and sit down in some quiet place. You know, sit down. There's a bench down by the pond that's very nice to sit, sit in. And you can just become relaxed in the woods. You can just become part of the woods. The, the boundary between you and the woods just kind of, it goes when you, when you just sit and spend time there. Right now, um, I'm collaborating with the head of the Gorilla Foundation on a book, which is going to be called something like The Zen Teaching of Coco. Do you, do you know, have you heard of Coco the Gorilla? Coco's mind was such that when we sat together, like twice a week, an hour twice a week, Tuesday and Thursday, one hour each. And she gave me something very interesting. It's that when we sit facing each other, she's sitting on a 55-gallon barrel, so she's, you know, 200 pounds, huge black gorilla sitting right here in front of me. And we're looking into each other's eyes. But when we look into each other's eyes, there's no gap between us. You know, our, when, you, when you look into Coco, when I look into Coco's eyes, her mind is so still and so constant that that mind followed in that groove. You know that you, you just sit there and you look into somebody's eyes and you look into somebody's eyes, and you're it's just magic. Coco is a very interesting person. Like she said to me one time, I said, Coco, what's the most important thing in life? This is this is talking to a gorilla here. You know what she immediately said? Love. She, she put her arm. This, this is the American Sign Language gesture for, for love. And she always 
and, uh, and, and you take, take this posture, and then you point at somebody. Coco took this, this thing, this sign for love, and then she pointed at me. And that means she's saying, you're my boyfriend. <laughs> I mean, she, I mean, it's that, that kind of a, you know, we're, we're talking together, you know, we're, we're communicating here, you know, and, and the main thing that I did with Coco was be silly. And I, I think in our, in our sitting practice, you know, there, there's a real lightness of being, you know, like one, one way of talking about our meditation posture is that it's, you, you can say, Zazen makes you so free that you can dance on the heads of demons and they can't catch you. Isn't that an interesting way of looking at demons in this sense don't mean a bunch of, you know, devils or something like that. What they mean is disturbing emotions, things like that. What, things which are upsetting to you. Awkwardnesses, anger, desire, whatever, whatever goes on. You, you take this position and it, it's... Uh, it gives you a great power, and, 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 the, and one of the results of that power is to be able to be silly and see lightness of things in, in different situations. I mean, not to be caught by... I don't know why I'm hesitating on telling you this story, but I think I'm going to do it anyway. Um, A girl that I know was kidnapped. She's okay. She's, she's fine now. That was 10 years ago that she was kidnapped. She was kidnapped. She was thrown into the trunk of a big, long, black limousine and driven for an hour or two to some place that she didn't know where it was in the dark, and she was dumped. And we talked a lot about what to do, you know, if you're you know, she said, you know, you're a Zen teacher, you know, what would you do if this happened to you? And, well, you can do Zazen anywhere. You can do Zazen even in the trunk of a car when you're kidnapped. You know, so how do you do that? Here it is. The voice of the universe is right here with us all the time. You know, in, in Christian terms, you might say it's the voice of God or... Some, in some Buddhist traditions, you might say it's the voice of Buddha or the voice of the Great Spirit. I had a plan this morning. I thought, well, I'll come in here. You know, I thought, you know, if I just sit up here and I just sit here and I don't say a word for, you know, like five minutes or so until everybody starts to feel that kind of discomfort about, like, what's he doing? You know, you, you know but it's not, quite, it was, it's not quite the right thing. But, but my friend was, who was kidnapped, I said, you have to listen for that voice. And when you find that voice and you become familiar with that voice, at first year it's going to be a little bit awkward because this voice of the universe that you have always been hearing since ever and ever, you don't, you don't turn it off, you don't turn it on, it's always with you. But if you're thrown into a trunk of a car and kidnapped or something like that, or you're, you're, you know, you're, your car breaks down in the middle of nowhere, what are you going to do? It's raining outside, you may feel, feel vulnerable, but in that awkwardness, in that uncomfortableness, that's where you go. You go right into that. When almost four years ago, um, my wife passed away very suddenly. We had been 
on retreat in a little shed in the Mojave Desert with no neighbors for miles and miles and miles on a long dirt road. And one day she just collapsed. You know, we, we met at a training in a Zen monastery together. And she just collapsed and she could not move. And she, she could not eat anything. And, you know, I, I got found that I could give her a, a, a straw, a flexible straw with it, you know, that bends over and with a glass of water and she would take a, a, a micro sip. But, but during that time, Tobin one time <clears throat> described himself as a gorilla. And I told Coco this. He said, that, uh, he said, I am a gorilla swinging around from branch to branch in the high trees. When I see somebody who needs me, I swoop down and hold them with my kindness and never let them go. I think we. I think this is something that that we can do. We, you know, our our meditation tradition is 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 about taking care of other people. When you're in dire straits yourself, if you can find another person to take care of in some way, there are all kinds of little opportunities every day, to that, that you can just re reach out to somebody. You can just be with somebody. It may just be a a passing smile. You know, it may it may just be the uh, you know a nod or something like that. You, know, you can make a connection. Try, try. I. This is what I do. I'm not giving you advice. It, I. I try and find wherever I go. I try and find an I try and find maybe the most difficult person for me to go talk to. Somebody who makes me just, <clears throat> or like what happened to me yesterday was. The trigger that sets me off the most is some parent in a supermarket. You know, and they're pushing a child in a stroller. You know, and the child says, Mommy, Mommy, or Daddy, Daddy, you know, I want some of that candy. Please let me have some of that candy. And then you witness them going around the store all the way. I mean, all they had to do was just give one little piece of candy, and this child would have been happy, and you would have had a really positive experience shopping with your child. But, you know, no, you know, you can't have candy. Candy's not good for you, and it'll rot your teeth, and all this kind of thing. And I was, I was in a supermarket with somebody, and, and they were doing this to their child, and the child was tearing, 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 you know, and, you know, and I feel myself tensing up inside. You know, what am I going to do? What can I say to this person? And then I, I went over to the child and I went like this. Hello. And, you know, it stopped the child from crying. You know, and I played, you know, for a minute or two just like that, just, just you, know, you know, looking for an opportunity where you can help somebody who needs help like this. You know, you, you know, I can't go up to the mother and just say, hey, you know, this is not the thing to do. <laughs> you know, but you, can, but you can sometimes find a way of, of doing this kind of thing.
here's another. Um, this this gorilla is a is a silverback male. He's 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 400 pounds. He's twice as big as Coco. When he when he stands next to me, he's he's nine feet tall. You know when I play ball with him, he liked me to play ball with him. You know a soccer ball, we'd toss it back and forth. But I'd throw it. You know in his in, enclosure where he lived, it's about 30 feet high and you know 30 yards and 30 yards. It's big. So when when and Dumi, when I'm playing with him, I take the ball and I toss it up as high as I can. Just so that I can see this 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 monster. <laughs> he's not a monster. He's very nice. But you know, like I said to when I first started working with him, I said, "Why doesn't anybody go in with him?" And and Penny said to me, uh, "Because if he wanted to, he could pull your arms out by the sockets if something upset him." You know, you know. So you know, you, you, you nobody ever goes in with Endumi, but. But I brought one of the Zen practice things that I like doing with him is that I would go over and he'd be in his enclosure. He'd be sitting way up high on, on, a, on, a, on a platform and I'd get a broom and I'd go over and I'd just stand next to his enclosure, you know. And I just, you know, I'm not trying to clean anything up, just sweeping, you know, just Zen sweeping, you know. I'm not doing anything. I'm just sweeping. I'm just sweeping. And, you know, and, and one day, the first time that Endume accepted me and trusted me, he climbed down off of his high platform, just the most graceful, you know, he could move with his power. It was just awesome. He was like a sunbeam, could just move around and flow through all these things. And, 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 and he climbed down very gracefully, and then he walked across, he always walked sideways, and he walked sideways, and he plopped down on the ground right in front of me. You know, here's the mesh enclosure is right in, right in front of me. He plopped right down, lay down on his side, Plopped, propped up his head like this and looked at me and smiled at me and made some happy sounds. And, 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 after, and after that, uh, you know, we were friends. And I guess I hadn't really thought to talk about gorillas today, but I guess that's where we're going. The, the, you know, when you do walking meditation here, you know, we, we hold our hands in this particular position, you know, and center it right over that little bump in the middle of our chest. And then we, when, we, when our, our breath starts to go in, we take half a step forward and put our foot flat down on the ground. That, not, not like this and that, not like that, but just flat on the ground. That's the way Coben told me. And, and then your mind comes to a stop, a complete stop. You have to watch for it because if you don't watch for it, it's not gonna, you're not going to see it. But the stopping, is it's kind of like you take a, a half step and you stop and you look around. And you, and you, you see, this, this doing it like this, the stopping element of walk of this kind of walking meditation, is really unusual because this is the way that deer protect themselves from mountain lions. You want to see a mountain lion around here? You know, when I was when, one one year, the the uh, all of the conservation money in the state of California came from the mountain lion fund, and uh, and so I worked a, a lot with the with the. Uh, with the state mountain lion hunter and got to be friends with him and we went we went on he would you know dart lions and you know put radio collars on them and you know I got to pull the tails of darted lions you know it's you know you can take a big a big lion who's been darted and is is, is unconscious and you know you, you can do things to them that they that you couldn't do to a, to another one you know you can pull him by the tail you know you can take his lips and pull his lips apart and look at his teeth count his teeth and you know this is a this is so you take one deer and the mountain lion hunter, he told me that I said, how can I go and see lions? And he said, you watch the way deer walk. You know, deer, they around here, there, you'll see them all every day. I see deer around here. You know, they, they, they take a, a short step, 
you know, maybe, and they, they go down and they nibble a piece of grass or a leaf or something like that, and then they chew it and they stand right there and they just look around, you know, and they, they, they're not moving at all, they're just looking around, you know, and, and they're sensing things and you see their ears moving in different directions like this, and you know that they're hearing things. So if you, but mountain lions are very, uh, they always go by the same route, you know. There are places around here where mountain lions kill deer all the time, and there are places where they have never killed deer in the history of the world. But if you go to one of these places, and you know the lions, the lions will be there, and you know that they're there, and and you walk in this kind of a way, and you really stop, then suddenly, oh, what's that looking? What's looking from behind that tree over there at me? You know, and then you say, oh, it's a lion, isn't it? Well, what do you know? And you know, it it kind of when you stop, when you're walking in the woods, when you're doing this Buddha walk, this Kinyin walk that we were just doing in the Zendo, you know, you. It dislodges animals. You know, animals. You're walking around the woods out here. There's always something. You know, a bobcat sitting over there this morning when I was, you know, down by the creek. And and you know, if you're just walking along, it'll just sit there and it won't move. But then you take it. But then you stop. Sometimes when you're out walking in the woods, you just stop. And then the animals they can't see you, and they and they 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 go nuts. You know, they just they jump out from where they are. Look around. Where is he? What is he doing? I'm just sitting here, and, and you know, and it's it's very fun. it's a very good you know our meditation practice is kind of like this. And should I say something about you know like if you have if you haven't encountered um, Zen before, maybe I should say something like, like uh, we sit. Our main practice is sitting meditation, and but that's not enough. We also have to get some understanding of the Buddha's teaching. The Buddha's teaching is, is truth, you know, so it's not restricted to Buddhism, but it's a, you know, if you're in, in, a, in a Christian church or something like that, and we're talking about truth, absolute truth, then that's it. You, know, you, you need to have some understanding of that, I think, or else you'll, you'll, you won't know if you're going the, the right way or not. My wife was, was an ordained nun, and she said to me one time, um, I'm a nun. I know what's right and I know what's wrong. That's who you married. So this is a, you know, she was, her, her name, she was Chinese. Her name is Chur Hing in Cantonese. And she, she was very, you know, her, her father was a, was a Confucian scholar and he was very strong about that. He taught me a lot of things about that. But Buddha was also kind of a Confucianist. He also knew what was right and what was wrong. You know, it's not, you know in your heart, we all know in our heart, you know, what's right and what's wrong. We have to, and if we listen to it, then that's, that's good. But there's something which is always listening. The first time that I met the absolute truth, I was a boy of about maybe 13 or 14 years old. And I was in the desert. And I hadn't, you know, many years later, I hadn't realized that I'd actually encountered the absolute truth, the stillness. And Coben came out of the Zendo and he said to me, Where did you first encounter stillness? I said, 
I didn't know that I had encountered stillness. And then, he's, and then he, he said, some people find it at the beach, some people find it in the mountains, some people find it in the desert. And before he could say anything more, I said, I found it in the desert. I, and I said, can I trust my intuition? He said, yes. I'm feeling how, how important it has been for me to meet a teacher that I connected with right at the beginning of my practice. Just fire it over. Ah, thank you. And, and to have regular meetings or talks with somebody who is a, you know, you know, a lot of teachers like Mike or, or Cliff here are, you know, make some kind of a connection with them. You know, bring them, bring them a, you know something that's troubling you. You know, find find, find something that you're that, that troubles you deeply. What I mean doesn't have. I mean, it could be anything. Up to you. But and then bring this problem to the one you want to engage as a as a teacher and ask an answer. You know, like not. I, I don't mean the kind of question like, you know, should I go right or should I go left. But maybe you could bring that kind of a question up too. But Coben was a very silly man. At times, he always he had an, a great ability to make to make a situation very light. Like, well, like when I was first sitting, I, I had a, a great deal of trouble sitting still. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd get into this position, and I'd just shake, and my muscles would just get tense, and I'd just, you know, just shake, and just, oh, it was just terrible. And I would cry and cry and cry and cry and cry. And then one day, I asked Coben about it. I said, Coben, how does the enlightened state of mind appear when I am shaking? He laughed and said, shaking. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that, that Coben told me, oh, here's another nice picture. This is um, Co Coco with one of her kittens. One, one day, Coco and I were painting together. And I said, Coco, can you draw me a picture of love? That's what, that's, that's what, that's what she, she painted for me. One thing that she taught me, which is which has turned out to be a very interesting tool, is that I would be cooking her meals in the in the kitchen, which is a separate building from where she lived. And when she she knew that I came on every Tuesday and Thursday, and when she wanted to have a visit with me, she did this thing that we call at the Gorilla Foundation. We call it the Gorilla Purr. So you can plug your ears if you want to, but it's a it's a like that, and she would do that very loud, and I would hear her in the other building, and then I'd know, oh, it's time to go have a visit with Coco. And then, and then we'd go and, and sit down together, and, and, uh, and we'd, we'd purr to each other. 
you know, and, and, and you know, and, and you know, all gorillas make that kind of a purring sound. But 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 she and I hit it off together, and this was this was our 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 duet. You know, we would do this to each other every day, and so and it got to be so that we would get so into it, and Coco would be so happy that. They would the caregivers would come and get me from the kitchen when Coco was feeling upset about something or when she wouldn't eat or something like that, and then we'd sit down together and you know and we'd do this gorilla purring together, and uh, and her mind would completely change and she'd suddenly be happy, and uh, and then playfulness would come out of this like like your beautiful red toenails um, remind me of that that. Coco was the only person who ever painted my toenails. <laughs> and since red was her favorite color, of course, I had my toes, toenails were painted just the way yours are. Actually, it was, it was very funny. She was a very kind person, Coco. Like like Coben, and she would sometimes just tell me things, and I think this is a, a you know something that I valued about Coben was that sometimes he would just tell me something. He would just say, you know, he would see, you know, I as an inexperienced practitioner, an inexperienced person at life at at twenty years old or so. Like when, once, he, once he said to me, can you take a vow with me never to separate from your wife? He said, I have just taken that vow. You know, he and his wife and me and my wife, we fought a lot together. You know, we yelled at each other. And you know, I was not raised in a family where there was any yelling going on. But my Chinese wife was very much like that. And she and her father would yell at one another. And, you know, and, and, you know, so I had to learn how to be still in the face of this being yelled at like that. But Coben, seeing that you know, he had a difficulty, his wife also yelled at him and chased him out of the house with a skillet sometimes. And, and you know, so when I, would, when I would talk to him you know, about my marital problems, then he would empathize with it and, you know, and say, you know, well, you know, well, and I say, what do you do? And, I, and he said, well, you can take a walk, but don't stay away too long. You know, you know, come on back and get thrown out again if you need to. And, you know, but it's just it was possible to have to talk and have conversations about real problems, real things that were going on in my life. He was always very interested in natural history things, and, and so I I often would bring things over to his house. This is the. Um, Last week, I was, uh, I don't know how to pass this around. Do you have any ideas about how I can pass it around? This is, this, this is the skull of a young wild boar. And I was up in the, on the, in, the, in the mountains last two Wednesdays ago. And oh, no. <laughs> and I was chasing wild boar. I, I like to chase wild boar because they're made to be chased. So, so just, just so you'll see, this is the skull of a wild boar. And I was, I was, uh, I saw this wild boar and I, I decided I was going to chase it because it's so much fun. You know, and there were five or six of these boar that were all sleeping together in the long grass. And I, gave a gorilla hoot, 
and, and it chased it up over a hill. And then I noticed that there were that that something strange was going on in the valley. There were a whole bunch of, of vultures that were sitting around in a tree. And so I thought, well, something's dead. And so I looked around, 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 and and I couldn't find anything. And finally I found the wild boar, which is that little skull right there. It had just been killed by a mountain lion. And so when I found the wild boar, it was still all bloody, and, and it was still the blood was still flowing, and and you know the lion had just opened it up and was had had not yet had a chance to take but one bite out of the liver, which is what they love to eat the best, and and then I thought about this business about the about you know it it appeared that the mountain lion. I said to myself, oh, the lion killed this wild boar last night, you know, and two days later I kept something kept bugging me about this. And, I said, and then I realized that when I gave that last gorilla hoot to scare off the other boar, that the lion, which was 30 feet from me, had just killed that boar, and that gorilla hoot scared off the mountain lion. So when I got down to see this little baby wild boar, you know, I was down in, between, in an open space between two thickets. At the time, I didn't realize it, but two days later, I realized that lion is in one or the other of those dense willow thickets, and I'm right here at its kill. <laughs> Okay, to continue, one more wild boar story. <laughs> this, there is a saying in Zen, if you stop sitting, once you start sitting, once you engage in sitting, if you stop sitting, all your defilements will come back ten times stronger. So here's an interesting example of uh, something like that. This, this wild boar, it broke off the, the tusk that was on the top here. And its, it's lower tusk didn't have anything to break it. You can see on that other big skull, you know, the skull, the teeth wear against one another and keep them from growing. But you can see in this one, you know, that the upper one was broken off and so the lower one kept growing. And it must have been terrible, this old boar. And look at its terrible teeth. Never brush his teeth. So if you stop sitting, your teeth are going to grow around, curve lay up, and enter your skull, and you've had it. How are you going to possibly eat? eat you know, you can't put a fork in your mouth because this tooth is coming around. It's trying to get into your, into your skull. Uh. Well, I know that, that Doug has, has rung the bell for, for us to go up and feed. You know, that's a funny thing, you know, like, oh, no, I can't go, don't go yet. Coben was somebody who, who loved to teach children bad things. You want to have an example? He, he taught my two boys and his two children the proper way of picking the nose. <laughs> you know, so here we are. We're in Coben's house. We're in the living room of Coben's house. And, and Coben is up his nose like this. And we're all, we're all standing around with him. And he... And he comes out with a nice big booger and he looks and, and he looks at it and then he, he eats it. And then he's, he rubs his tummy like this and he says, yum. This is what he taught his children and mine. So you have come to a place where, where, where a lineage like this is going on. So you better watch out. You may get infected with doing bad things to children like this. <laughs> okay, the second bell just rang, so I, thank you very much. <laughs>
Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Jikoji, please visit us on the web at jikoji.org.